When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Today we're talking about Ovid, perhaps the most prolific poet of ancient Rome, certainly in terms of the amount of his work that survives. Over 30,000 lines, or more than Catullus, Lucretius and Virgil combined. But we'll be talking mostly about his Metamorphoses, a 15-book epic which traces the history of the world, sort of, from the creation to the death of Julius Caesar, through something like 250, depending on how you count them, stories of transformation, including such famous myths as Apollo and Daphne, Diana and Actaeon, Europa and the Bull, Echo and Narcissus, Perseus and Andromeda, Daedalus and Icarus, Jason and Medea, Theseus and the Minotaur, Meliaga and the Boar of Caledon, Hercules and the Shirt of Nessus, Orpheus and Eurydice, Venus and Adonis, onto the Trojan War, the wanderings of Aeneas, early Roman history, and finishes with the, the apotheosis of Julius Caesar. So Ovid, as it happens, was born the year after Caesar was assassinated, so a generation younger than Virgil and Horace, which means he was still a child when the civil wars came to an end. And how much difference does that make, Emily, to his life and, and to his poetry? I think it makes a huge difference. I mean, so he tells he tells us a lot about his life in his poetry, especially in the exile poetry. His whole career was under the Emperor Augustus, who started out as Octavian. So unlike Horace and Virgil, he'd never known the days of the Roman Republic. He hadn't um, sort of been a grown-up living through the civil wars in the way that they had. He was over 20 years, as you said, younger than both Horace and Virgil. He tells us that he did meet Horace and he saw Virgil, but they were old men, or they were just the old, the old guard for him. So I think just the whole sense of Ovid's um, political ideological persona and the, and the politics of his poetry is very, very different because the central, one of the central threads running through all of it is Ovid's um, adversarial relationship with Augustus, who was the dominating figure of Rome throughout his career. Horace went to school in Rome and was then went to Athens and Ovid followed a similar educational path. Similar in a sense, yes. But I mean, we talked, I think, a little bit when we talked about Horace and Virgil about how steeped in Greek philosophy they both were, as well as in poetry. Um, and by contrast, Ovid doesn't seem to have shown any particular interest in philosophy, even though, you know, he obviously he, he was very widely read and knew about philosophy. But his, his educational training was primarily in rhetoric. His father, he tells us, very much wanted him to be a a lawyer, which then as now was a you know, way to get a steady, large income. Um, and Ovid was both resisted, he tells us that he resisted the legal career and wanted to be a poet. And whenever he tried composing speeches, they came out as poetry. Um, and I think you can see the marks of that rhetorical training in everything he wrote. The Romans had a very um, stylized form of performance, of, of rhetoric as performance art called declamation or declamatio. 
And it involved two different types of exercise, one of which is there's a fake law case, which is a, which sets a difficult challenge. And you have to argue for both sides of it and figure your way through the legal minefield that's been set for you by the teachers. And it was that kind of thing was something which was both done by teenage boys as training for careers in law and politics. But then also people would follow celebrity orators who were really, really good at this exercise. And then the other type, which I think you can sort of see the marks of all over of its, of its poetry, is a swasoria, in which you take a famous historical or mythological character and persuade them to do something different from what they did in the normal tradition. So persuade Alexander the Great not to advance into India, or persuade um, Agamemnon not to kill his daughter Iphigenia, and then give speeches for, on all sides, and with Agamemnon saying, this is why I really must kill my daughter. And then your speech saying, why you must not kill your daughter. And come up with the most ingenious possible arguments on every possible side of the case. And I think you can see elements of, of it doing that over and over again, including both in the early work and also in the Metamorphoses. The earliest book of his we have this right, is, is the Amores, the sort of supposedly light love poetry and elegiac couplets. Yes, well, the, the, the relative dating of the Heroides and the, the Amores is somewhat debated. But anyway, both the Heroides and the Amores are, are early works. The Amores, we know for sure that Ovid um, knew Propertius. When Propertius had sort of um, taken the germs of an idea about how to write love poetry from Catullus, but developed it into this whole um, genre of, which is, of what's called Roman love elegy, which has these set tropes of the um, the beloved who locks herself up behind her door, the moping young man who wants to get in there and rape her if possible and is obsessed with some woman who is not an enslaved woman, but somebody who's called a domina, who has some kind of autonomy. Ovid takes all the tropes from Propertius and other Roman love elegists and does this sort of jokey version of them, um, in which he's sort of constantly playing around with the tropes and um, pushing them as hard as they can possibly go. So, for instance, one of the sort of cliché tropes of love allergy is that love is much harder than war and that every lover is actually a soldier. And Ovid sort of gives every possible spin you could give to that um, that meta- metaphor in what in what ways, and then he can come up with 50 different ways that a lover is like a soldier or even better than a soldier. So, again, it's a sort of rhetorical exercise, but it's also funny. And and it is less anguished, or less anguished than Propertius or Catullus. It seems, isn't it? It's not. Yes, none of it is really very anguished, and a lot of it it seems to be played for laughs. And he picks themes that are clearly meant to be um, funny or trivialising. I mean, he has the poem about his girlfriend trying to dye her hair and getting all upset because it didn't work out well. Um, he has the poem about his girlfriend trying to get an abortion and getting upset about it. So she's also played for laughs. Um, every, all, all of these tropes, which could in proportions have been dealt with in a, an emotionally serious way, are not dealt with on that level in Ovid. And this sort of question of almost that everything he wrote, well, maybe not everything, but many of the things he wrote, a sort of a mock it's sort of is mock love poetry and then it was in a sense that it's in the way mm-hmm. that yeah. as we get on to the metamorphoses is kind of a, a mock epic in some ways mm-hmm. and then he also wrote this the Ars Amatoria which is a a mock etiquette book or a sort of advice <laughs> manual yes it's a mock Jordan Peterson or a mock him how to how to pick up the ladies well the first two books are how to 
have sex and how to get a girlfriend and have sex with her. And then the, the last book is for the ladies, how to pick up a guy. And um, I think one thing that we just sort of need to contextualize is that um, so Octavian had come to power and taken over as the one man leader of what he was still claiming was a republic. But of course, it was no longer a republic. Um, and once Octavian, now Augustus, had been in power for a while, he tried to create a sort of cultural, rev social revolution as well as the political revolution, which involved um, putting in place all these new laws, um, making much, much more stringent penalties on adultery and penalties for men who failed to get married and produce ch and incentives to produce leg legitimate children because he was sort of trying to both distract people from his own political rise to power. And of course, the Cultural Revolution is a way to do that. But then also to generate, you know, the future stock of the new Rome. So uh, within that context, a poem that's all about how to have a, an adulterous love affair or an extramarital set of, whole bunch of extramarital love affairs was obviously provocative for the culture that Augustus was trying to instill. This was one of the probably one of the reasons for which he was then later exiled that there's this we don't know quite why but there was a the carmen and the error there was a a poem and a mistake a poem and a mistake yes and the poem was the the ars amatoria yes we're told the poem was the ars amatoria and presumably it was extremely annoying to augustus that ovid had published this this thing and it was extremely popular and um, there's a sort of time lag because um the ars amatoria was published seven years before before ovid actually got exiled um, so if, if Augustus was so annoyed just about the Ars Amatoria, shouldn't he have exiled Ovid right away for recommending adultery in, the, in, the, in that way? So, but as you say, he, he's in a way a little bit mysterious about the exact causes of the exile. And he says a poem and a mistake. It's not exactly clear what the mistake was. Um, but presumably the, the mistake must have been something rather more recent than the Ars Amatoria. And possibly the Ars Amatoria would then have been a pretext if Augustus didn't want to... I mean, there's lots of speculation about what it might have been about being involved in a plot for who would succeed Augustus is one theory. And and obviously there might be reasons why Augustus wouldn't want to draw attention to whatever the reason was. So the, the Ars Amatoria was a convenient pretext for, mm -hmm. for exactly. exiling yes. him. But in the meantime, as mm -hmm. Ovid himself might say, he was between the Ars Amatoria and, or at the, and, and his exile, he was working on the, the Metamorphoses, which in some ways, carries on some of those themes from those earlier books. There's a lot of sex in it. There's a lot of, of, of rape and, and seduction and, and so on. But it's also, it's a larger, longer work that presents itself as this history of the world. But there's a sense in which that's not, it's not like De Rerum Natura, like Lucretius's poem, which is, uses the epic form to a serious philosophical purpose. And Ovid was mm -hmm. not writing a solemn, serious history of the world. It was a way, this was a form in which he could then tell all these many different stories. Yes, I mean, I think one could argue about how, I mean, you can be totally playful and full of one-liners and also have some serious points to make at the same time. And I think I would say that that's true of Ovid. I mean, that he's, he has some serious themes about art and nature and power and the, the abuse of power, which keep coming up throughout the poem. And those, I mean, very often are told as if for laughs, but that doesn't mean they're not important themes that on some level he can be taking them seriously while also snickering. Thanks for listening to this extract from Among the Ancients a close reading series from the London Review of Books. 
To listen to the full episodes and all our other Close Reading series, sign up to our Close Reading subscription. Go to lrb.me forward slash close readings or click on the link in the description. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.